Hi, and welcome to the Willowridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here. If you've got your Bibles, go and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, it's where we're going to be. We're in week 11. Um, that struck me this morning. I'm, some of you are like, yep, no, we're realizing it, right? But um, week 11 of working through uh, 1 Corinthians. And, and we got, uh, we got we still got some ways to go, but we will be getting there. Um, and glad to, to, to be journeying through this with you guys. Uh, this weekend, we had our marriage conference. I want to talk about that uh, uh, real briefly, it was a wonderful time. We had about 25 couples uh, that came through this. Uh, we had some phenomenal conversations during it. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, we've gotten some phenomenal feedback um, after as well. Uh, one of the things that, that we did was we took a, an assessment that helps us understand some things about ourselves. And one of the big topics was how you view and manage time and how, how you do that. And so it kind of worked through, uh, uh, you either live in the present, like so you're present minded or you're future minded and then within that you are either a person who uh, and, and the, the assessment does a way better job explaining this than I do but basically you're the person who lives and die by a plan and a schedule or you're just a person who's like nah whatever like we're just gonna figure it out as we go um, and so Aaron and I we, we took that assessment and we found out or, or not found out but I think it affirmed what we already knew um, that we are both future planners and that's who we are. Like we, we have a hard time living in the moment and we panic if our phones shut down and we don't know what happens the next day, right? So everything's on the schedule, everything's on the plan, it's what we do. And that was embodied in us on Saturday morning. We were driving up to the church to go through day two as we led through this together. And on the entire drive here, we were not talking about anything we had to do today on that Saturday, but we were talking about the next marriage conference in the future. And so I've already had a couple people say, you know, we hope we're gonna do another one we loved it, or even others that said, we know we didn't, uh, we didn't have an opportunity to be a part of this one. Is there going to be another one? Short answer, I tell all that to say, yes, we will have another. And then I just want to kind of have a moment to be able to say this, all right? Um, a lot of times, uh, uh, you guys know Aaron, and, and you know my wife, and, and she's the one that comes alongside me and supports me, encourages me, and she sits there, and, and we work through that with our children, um, with, with parenting them and, and, and what she is and all that to me. I tell you guys often that, that I use this illustration that it just helps me that, that the Holy Spirit uses her in a powerful way in my life as she speaks truth to me in, in so many ways, shapes, and form. But this weekend uh, was just f- fantastic because while we've led small groups together, um, while we usually do couples counseling together when we've got to work through some stuff with a couple, we'll, we'll go through that together. But this weekend, we had the opportunity to just lead and, and walk through this uh, together in this marriage conference and, and to do this as a couple. And it was just such a blessing and, and she crushed it. And every time that I got in the way, she overcame that. And so just a wonderful time. And so, baby, it was just a blessing to be able to do that with you. And, and thank you for, for all that you do, all that you mean to me and all that you do for our church as well. We love you. I love you. And thank you for that. 
all right? Um, also, I want to point you guys to uh, these cards on, on your rows there for our Easter. Easter is coming up, coming up quickly, right? That's what the pollen says. Uh, so Easter uh, will be here, and we're doing some things a little bit differently um, than we had. One of the things that we've learned over the last couple of years that, that COVID kind of brought in was thinking through doing some things differently as churches. It's why we're able to live stream in the way that we do, and a lot of things have changed within that. Um, but also last year, we got such a positive response from how we did our Easter service with having an early morning outdoor. Now, it was painfully cold, right, Joanne? It was painfully cold um, out there. Uh, and so we're hoping this year won't be as cold, but we will have uh, a, a morning service at 8 a.m. outdoors out in the parking lot. And so you can come to that. And we're going to have a 10 o'clock service here like we always do gathered in our auditorium. For the most part, they're going to be identical. Uh, the message will be the same. We'll do the Lord's Supper. Uh, same music will look differently because of having to be outside, but for the most part, so choose which service you want to come to. But but also, uh, we want, we're doing something a little different. We're going to have a full hot breakfast uh, for Willow Ridge Church in between. So at nine o'clock, after the eight o'clock service is over with and before the 10 o'clock service starts, you can come here uh, that morning, get breakfast, spend some time in fellowship with, with our church family, and, and just really looking forward uh, to the fact of celebrating all that Christ has done and the fact that the tomb is empty. And so we'll have a, a beautiful time to, to do that together. So, um, in your group tonight, right, those of you that are in small group, um, in your groups tonight, you're going to work through 1 Corinthians 12 uh, through 14 together. Uh, this morning, we're, we're largely going to focus in on chapter 13, but, but as we largely focus on 13, because we'd be here till 3 if we had to go through all of this, right? Um, if, if, but I want to kind of give you guys some, some understanding of what chapter 12 deals with, and then some understanding of what chapter 14 deals with, so that we can understand what is sandwiched in between both of these chapters because all of God's word is inspired. All of God's word is good for us. And so we want to make sure that, that we can have this. So in chapter 12, there's kind of three sections that we see in, in chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, what Paul is talking about is that the Holy Spirit is the source of all spiritual gifts. So spiritual gifts are going to be an overwhelming concept that Paul is going to focus in on these three chapters. And what God does is in his sovereignty, he gives us our spiritual gifts to be used for his glory. So your spiritual gifts were not passed down to you from your parents. Your spiritual gifts were not worked toward in your life. You haven't achieved these. You haven't earned these. God in his sovereignty, as he chooses, gives individuals spiritual gifts. And there are different spiritual gifts. So you and I are different oftentimes in the spiritual gifting that we have, but it comes from the Lord, so we can trust that it's, that it's good. Then in, in verses 12 through 26, Paul talks about the diversity of these gifts, and what it does is it brings unity to the body. So because we are different, right? The world tells us different is bad, but, but because we are different in, in what we see, because we're different in what we, what we have, that actually doesn't bring the division into the body, what it should bring into the leading of the Holy Spirit is unity in the body. And so for me, I, you guys know I love sports. I think in sports illustrations. So imagine we're a baseball team, right? We're, we're not a very good baseball team if all of us want to be pitchers and all of us are gifted to be pitchers, right? We need someone to be a catcher. We need someone to be infielders. We need someone to be outfielders. We need someone to be able to hit the ball. And typically that's not where pitchers thrive, right? And so think about this with the body. There's, there's 
a diversity in the body, we all can't be the same. And if we were, then the body wouldn't be what the body needs to be, all right? And then the last part of, of chapter 12, verses 27 through 31, Paul talks about certain gifts, all right, will be used in certain leadership positions within the church. So certain gifting will, will require the, these people to, to step forward into leadership positions and they're to be viewed as, as leaders and we're to follow them in this. But here's, here, here's the, the big part of this. It's still Jesus's church, all right? And so this is not my church. This is not Pastor Dave's church. This is not the elder's church. This is not the trustee's church. This is Jesus's church and he is our ultimate leader, all right? So that's like a really quick version of what we're going through in chapter 12. And then chapter 14 is kind of broken into two sections, all right? In the first part of, of chapter 14, Paul talks about the use of tongues and prophecy in the church, and he goes over the rules with them, all right? Now, I, I'm not gonna uh, go a lot into this, but I am gonna jump into this a little bit later in some questions about these. As we look at chapter 13, and then in chapter 14, 26 through 40, he talks about the importance of order in worship in the church. And so there's this big piece of spiritual gifts. How are they used? What is the body like? And, and what we can see happening in Corinth and what we can see happening in churches here is that when it comes to spiritual gifts, they're, they're meant to unify us. But oftentimes, because we handle so many things sinfully, right? We handle them in the negative context and, and, and they can be used to divide. And, and oftentimes with spiritual gifts, this, this comes in arrogance. And, and here's kind of how it manifests itself, right? We are gifted by God to do things to serve the body and to glorify him, but yet through our pride and ego, right? It builds in us a sense of arrogance to where we say, look at me, look how talented I am. I'm more talented than you. I'm better than you, right? And so it, it causes within someone who has been given this gift by God an inflated sense of self that makes them feel like they have a self-righteousness that's better than others, that, that I'm more spiritual than you, that I'm more blessed than you, that I'm more favored than you, right? And that's an abuse of the gifts, right? Or flip turn in arrogance toward God, in arrogance toward God. God, I'm so good, I'm so blessed, I'm so fortunate, right? You couldn't do this without me, right? That's the other side of that. We see oftentimes the arrogance within the church, but oftentimes within our own hearts is, Lord, this would all fall apart if I wasn't here. And the truth is, all of this would fall apart if Jesus wasn't here, right? And that's it. And so, or, or, or reversed, and, and, and I do see this that happens, and it's created oftentimes an idolatry of leadership. We, we, we tend to, as churches, elevate others and then devalue others based off of their gifts, Right? So we deem that a certain gift is more important than others. And so those that have that gift, we, we raise them up. And, and, and oftentimes what it can create within us is a sense of jealousy of wishing we were like them and not living in the reality of who we are, of who God's called us to be. Now, with spiritual gifts, because we're not going to see all of them, but it's going to be an overlying theme that we see um, in, in, in Scripture. I, I think there are basically two lists of these that, that I just want to kind of mention to you if you want to jot them down. In, in Romans 12, there's a list that Paul gives um, 
where he talks about there's prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. So that's one list that's there. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives another list of them that's there at the front of the chapter and at the end of the chapter, where he talks about word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And and, and so what, what this kind of draws us from is that so oftentimes we look at the gifts of the Spirit and we say, well, they fall into these absolute columns, but what we see is Paul leaves some grace and some margin to say, no, 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 like maybe the Spirit can gift us in different ways and in different capacities and that these giftings of the Spirit may not be the end all in this list, but it could even be beyond that, all right? And so sandwiched in between these is, is chapter 13, and that's what we're largely gonna focus on is we're gonna do all of chapter 13 So let's jump in and start reading verse 1. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And, and what, we, what we see here, what we're going to draw from is, is just this concept of, of nothing without love. Like, like the, the root message of the gospel of what's going to penetrate through all scripture is the concept of love. Of love in the gift, love in the message, love in the song, love in who we are, love in what we do. That we are nothing without love. We can do nothing without love. Love is the way in which Christians, right, are called to use their gifts, and when, we, when gifts are used, and however God's gifted you, when, when your gift is used, and when, when, when that piece of your personality that you thrive in, when those talents that you have are, are used in love in the context of who we are as Christians, God works in such a powerful way that it draws people into a deeper relationship with the Lord and a deeper relationship with others, right? Like, like that's what it does. Like if you were here this morning and, and you're like me and, and, and I'm not musical, it was funny when, when the countdown got like below 45 seconds, I went and stood behind the keyboard here and, and I really messed with the couriers. They were like, you play? I didn't think that. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna play this morning, right? And then I walked off like, cause that I, I can't play at all, right? But, but, but music, like what happened here was this group of individuals used a talent or a gift that the Lord blessed them with and not out of pride of who they are, but in love. And what it did was standing there in that moment, like it drew me in into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And and then for a moment, like I stopped singing and I heard others singing and I looked around the auditorium and I'm seeing different people engaged. And man, it just made me love all of you more, right? Because they're using their gifts in the way that draws people into the Lord, that challenges them in a deeper relationship. Now, as Isaac's playing the guitar and and, and singing, he's not focusing that out of me, but because the heart of which it's being done and how God uses it is what took place in the heart of a pastor standing there ready to preach. I now love Jesus more. I love you more because the gift that's being used there in this moment. But then Paul said, but if we don't have love, we become something. 
We're, we're, we're like a clanging symbol that's, that's there. Now, now, the beauty of what our symbols can bring to our worship is not what he's talking about, right? How many of you remember the gong show? Y'all remember that? I, I, I never watched it, all right, before my time, but it's the only reference I could think of, all right? And I know they'd hit that gong, and I know that gong was not associated with good. It was a lot, if you ever heard a gong ring, no one sits there and thinks, man, that's delightful, right? That's beauty all in its own, right? And so Paul says, like, if this is who you are and this is what you're doing, like, you're just a loud, distractive noise that serves no purpose, right? If you're, if you're as talented as all you want, you got talent oozing out of you. The gifts are just overflowing on you. But if it's not with love, then, then, then man, you're not even pointing people to Jesus. You're just loud and distracting from the mission and you serve no purpose. Paul goes on and says, if, if you have prophetic powers, if you understand mysteries, if you understand the depth of knowledge and have faith that can remove mountains, but no love, you're nothing. You're nothing. Uh, you, you don't matter. And, and the purpose and the journey of, of what God's doing, when, when it's done in, in, in pride, what's there. And he, and he says, if you're the person who says, you know what, I'm gonna give it all. And I'm even willing to be martyred. But you have not love, th th then you, 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 gain, you gain nothing, is what Paul says. Now, that's hard to hear. And it should cause us in a moment to, to check our hearts and begin to understand, like, what is the motivation? Who is the God that I serve? What is my life being lived toward? What is the pursuit that I have? What is this all about? What am I doing this for? Is it out of love? Now, verse 4, Paul's going to define love. He says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And, and so what Paul does as, as he defines love for this congregation. Now, remember, this, this church is not a group of seasoned, matured believers. They're young, they're immature at the most. The, the, the oldest believer is probably five years old in their faith. So it's a group of people who are working through some shallow things and who probably are taking a shallow approach to love. And so Paul hits them right in the middle of the forehead, right, with the truth of, of, of love. And he defines love by saying, like, this is what love does. Like, like you can see love. You can experience love. You can look at something, you can look at someone, you can look at the action, and you can say that is love. So I wanna, I'm gonna reread these, these verses, but I wanna do it with making sure that love is said with each and every one of them, okay? And I just want you to just listen to this for, for a moment as we read through. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant. 
Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Now you've heard this passage. If this is your first time ever in a church, I would be willing to bet you've even heard this passage before, right? Every time I get ready to officiate a marriage, I ask a couple, what passage of scripture or what multiple passage of scripture would you like for me to use? And, and oftentimes this is one that, that, that they ask for and this is a wonderful passage of scripture to use in, in, in a wedding, in, in a marriage. But can I say this, like this, this passage, while it has a grand application in marriage, right, is, is about more than a romantic love. And it's agape love. The word love that is used here is this word agape love. Now, Paul writing in the Greek, communicating in a Greek context, uses this word agape, all right? And when they hear the word agape, there will be certain things that register within them. You see, Paul didn't use the term for brotherly love. Paul didn't use the term for romantic love. Paul used his agape love. And in that, that would have drawn them to, to a certain set of understanding, even within their pagan Greek culture, about love. And I, I want to share these, share these with y'all. In the Greek con context of agape love, love means this. That love is unconcerned with self and concerned with the greatest good of another. That in the context in which Paul writes this, agape love was not a love that was based in feelings or attraction, but love was a choice. That agape love that it demanded things from someone. That agape love demanded faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without the expectation of anything being returned. And so when this church reads this, even if there was a great sense of immaturity of faith, they hear agape. They hear that, that love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant, and they're like, wow, love means that I'm not the center of my world. But love means that I'm working for the greatest good of another. When they hear love, they, they begin to understand that, wait, whoa, 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 love is not a feeling. Can you feel loved? Yes. Can you experience the feeling of loving another person? Yes. But agape love is more than that. And that love also isn't based out of attraction, right? But instead, love happens when it's difficult. Love happens when you're in conflict. Love happens when someone's done you wrong. Why? You don't feel it, but you choose it. I choose today in spite of this 
to love you. That's agape love. And that in that, that agape love says no matter what you do to me, I will be faithful to you. Agape love says that you do not determine my commitment to you, but I am committed to you. And agape love says, and I'll sacrifice for you. I'll sacrifice for you. And here's the thing. I'm not keeping a record because you don't need to do anything in return. Now, I just described love to you, but also just described Jesus to you, right? Jesus unconcerned with his self to step out of heaven, to take on the flesh of a man, to grieve when his friend died, to be rejected, to be beaten, and does it all for the good of others. Jesus, who didn't come down here and say, oh, well, I feel like I love you today. You better hope I do tomorrow, right? Jesus, that doesn't look at the crowd and pick out the pretty ones, the athletic ones, the gifted ones, but Jesus saying that I choose to love you, not in who you are, but in who I am. Jesus, who embodies faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice, right? And gives that sacrifice to us to the point of dying on a cross without expecting anything in return. This is Jesus. So when we, when we read these, when we read these verses, it's describing to us what love is. But when we read the whole context of Scripture in every moment of what we see, if we want to know what love is, if we want to know what love does, if we want to know what love looks like in the context of your marriage, in the context of your family, in the context of your neighbors, in the context of work, in the context of your church, look at Jesus. Because this is who he is. In the full embodiment of it. And then Paul continues on, look at verse eight. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And what we're going to see here is this permanent nature of love. Paul says very simply, first three words, right? Love never ends, right? Seasons end. Time will end. Your life, my life will end. This world as we know it will end. But love, love, agape love will never 
end is what Paul says. And Paul looks at the church and he says, I'm going to give you some insight in, in the concept of these spiritual gifts. And he gives a list of, of apostolic gifts, all right, which, which God gave to the early church to use them and to grow them. And he says they will come to an end, all right? And here's what I want to talk about. He says prophecy, right, it will pass away. Tongues, speaking in tongues will cease. Knowledge, now you think this is weird because we, we still have knowledge, right? So what does that mean? Well, this knowledge here is to know what God is going to do before God is going to do it, right? That there are certain people that would have that gift. It will cease. Now, I'm gonna say this and, 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 and we, can, we can be friends, all right? I believe that in the context of these apostolic gifts is Paul writes that they will become to an end and that they have. I believe the prophecy of scripture has been given to us in fullness and sufficiency. I believe that God equipped the, the church, the early church, with these and that God equipped those before us so that we could have what we have before us. I believe what God gave in the issue of speaking in tongues was used in a powerful way, but I'm just gonna tell you what we see happening in Pentecost, we probably don't see happening in Lexington, South Carolina, right? But that God used it, right? And it ceased. The knowledge to know what God is going to do will cease. Why? Because we can see and know what God is going to do in Scripture. And we can continue on in different ones with like the gift of healing, right? Like while God heals and while we pray for healing, right, God gave the apostles this gift of healing where they could go in and touch someone and that person who was dead would come alive, right? And we'll see that. Now here's why I say we can still be friends. Because if you believe differently and you want to have coffee and lunch and we can talk about it and we can hug when we see each other and we can hug when we leave. What I've seen happen and exist and take place in churches is men and women who get into things that can be open-handed for the church and they decided they're closed-fisted and they decided that you're against me if you don't believe what I believe. And I do not believe this is what Paul's talking about. Because here's what Paul says. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know what children do? You gotta be like me. You've gotta think like me. Paul says, look, I gave this up. I walked away for now, we see dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known, right? And so, so what Paul is saying to us is that as I walk through these, here's the understanding of what, what I have. Here's the understanding of what I'm placing for you, but I see dimly. I know that. I see through the limitations of my earthly body, of my earthly mind, and where I am, but one day I will know fully. And one day I will be able to fully comprehend. And what I don't want us to do tonight, what I don't want us to do here right now is get caught up in tongues and prophecy and miss the love of Jesus. Too many churches divide themselves over the things that we can agree are open-handed and not agree on the things that are closed-fisted of who Jesus is and the grace that comes from him and him alone and what he did on the cross and what he provides to us and what it means to love him, right? So Paul says this isn't 
going to be. And then he says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And, and, and love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. How can I say that? Faith, faith, faith's a big deal. Right? We place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Hope is a big deal. We hope for the things that we have not seen. We hope for the beauty of eternity. We hope for what God has promised us and what God tells us he's going to do. And we place our faith and our hope in him. And these are big. But Paul says, but the greatest of these is love. Now, I read a lot this week about this. And there was a lot of people who wrote, well, Paul didn't really mean that, but I read that Paul wrote that, so I've got to really think he meant that, right? So what does that mean? And in my simple mind, here's what I feel like the Lord bringing me to. <laughs> one day, I said it earlier, one day you and I, we're going to die, right? When we have our faith, the funeral of a person with faith is a joyous occasion for me. Because their faith, and that will be made sight. So when you die, your faith of who Jesus is, guess what? You're going to see him. And now the difference of what I've heard, of what I've placed my faith in, is right here. And it's Jesus. And so my faith is not different. My faith is sight. Like I said, you're going to die one day. I'm going to die one day. And as we are anticipating for that, we have hope for eternity. We have hope that all of the brokenness and the evil of this world will pass away. We have hope that there will be no more death because that's what God's word tells us. We have hope that there will be no more pain because that's what God tells us. We have hope that there'll be no more suffering, that there'll be no more tears because that's what God tells us. And then one day we will experience eternity and eternity will be reality. Can you imagine living like that? No more hurt. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. And so now, like, it, it's not hope of what it will be, it's the reality of what it is. But love will still be there. And the beauty of that is in that moment, as much as I think. I love Jesus. As much as I think about how much Jesus loves me, in my death and in my experience in eternity, right, that love will not go away, but that love will deepen to a point that I've never experienced before. And so Paul says, the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me?
Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that when we think about love in the context of, of, Lord, all that's going on in this world and in our life, Lord, there's a lot of defining pieces for that for us. The world tries to tell us what love does and what love doesn't do. The world tries to take broken standards of love and give them to us to set as our standard. And Lord, no standard that we can think of other than you fits. They're all square pegs trying to go into round holes. But Lord, you are the perfect embodiment of love for us. So Jesus, thank you for being patient with us as we run and as we rebel. Lord, thank you for your kindness that's given toward us. Lord, thank you that while you are jealous for us, Lord, that you are not envious because there is no one for you to envy. Jesus, thank you that you came not boasting in who you are, but boasting in the Father and came to serve. Lord, thank you that you came not in arrogance, but in humility, that you came not in rudeness, but the embodiment of grace and truth. Lord, thank you that you did not come insisting on your own way, Lord, but you surrendered to the will of the Father. Lord, thank you for not being irritable, but being compassionate. Of not being resentful, but being joyous. Of not rejoicing in the wrong, but rejoicing in the truth and the repentance of lost. Lord, thank you for bearing our sins on the cross. Lord, for showing us belief in action. Lord, thank you for showing the hope we can have and what the plan of the Lord is going to be. And Lord, enduring all. Lord, may we take our gifts and our talents in our positioning, in our resources, in our personalities, in everything, Lord, that you've given us and, and use them out of love, out of you to draw people to you, to speak reconciliation and hope and love and, and relationships to have a love for the brother and sister who's wronged me, who's offended me, who's not like me. And Lord, may this be who we are. Lord, would we not let gifts, our understanding of gifts, divide us, but instead to unify us in who we are in you and in you alone.
Jesus, I thank you for the work you did in the marriages of the individuals that were here this weekend. And I thank you for the work that you're doing in the hearts of the men and the women and children and people who are here today. Lord, may we respond to your gracious calling. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.